My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. If you're new this morning, I'm glad that you're here. Facebook Live, YouTube, Perry, Oklahoma, uh, any place in the world where you're joining us by way of audio or video podcast. Welcome. Thank you for being a part of Words for Today. Today's a little bit different on purpose. I want us to just sort of talk as a church, as a church family, about the next season of our life and ministry together. Let's talk about vision. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll start there. Several years ago, a couple called me to do their wedding. I'll marry nearly anybody if they'll go through premarital counseling with me, and so they agreed to do so. And so they made their first appearance in my office one Tuesday night. A couple walked in. I was really surprised, uh, really surprised, actually. Have you ever seen one of those couples, they just don't look like they go together? And I just preached on gossip, so I've got to be really careful how I talk about this couple. But um, she was beautiful. Really pretty girl, young girl, very well-dressed, very well-spoken. She looked like she stepped out of a magazine. But that boy she was with, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to say it, y'all. I mean, if someone had told me that she picked up a random hobo on, off the side of the road, I would have believed it. I mean, this guy was pitiful. I mean, I don't mean to talk badly about him. I mean... Maybe she and I have different ideas about how many front teeth are necessary for a husband. But, I mean, they just like, I can't believe they went to, I mean, I couldn't believe they went together. This guy was, you know, just, you know, really. um, And so we started the counseling, as I always do. I had you meet. I asked everybody that, and they said they met at work. And then then I asked her, uh, what attracted you to him in the first place? I asked everybody that, but in this case, I really wanted to know. I mean, I need... What attracted you to him in the first place? And I'm quoting you know, This is exactly what she said. I said, what attracted you to him in the first place? And she said, well, obviously he's cute. <laughs> yeah, she said that. She, and she, believed, she meant it. Like I'm looking her in the face waiting for her, you know, or something to crack. And she's like, obviously he's cute. I'm thinking, dude, we should marry her right now. Like, I need to YouTube, because if she opens her eyes, you know, I mean, marry her. No, I just say that to remind you that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. That's what we all say, right? And two of us can look at the very same thing and not see the same thing. Obviously, she looked at that boy, and she saw a really cute guy. You know, so God bless him. God is good, right? I mean... I guess y'all are thinking that's how Casey and I met. You know, she picked up a random hobo. I mean, probably. Um, But no, understand, vision is subjective. We all see things differently. Uh, You look at something, you look at something, and, and we all will never, ever probably reach the same opinion. That's just human nature. Vision is subjective. So how do we ever determine, you know, who sees correctly? You know, whose vision do we trust? And with that, I would say the one who sees everything perfectly from above. We trust his vision, right? And with that, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I'm going to go ahead and put it on the screen for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. This is what Paul says, and this is what the Word of God says to us, to the church. Listen, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no, say the word, divisions. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and, say the word, purpose. United in thought and 
purpose. I, I love this. Now, I said vision is subjective. You're typically going to have as many opinions as you have people, and I understand that. But notice what the Word of God says to the church. We are told to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions. Now, if you've ever been in a divided family, if you've ever been in a divided church, you know that there's nothing happy about that. There's nothing healthy about that. At the very same time, it is very, very difficult to imagine a church that has no divisions at all. Now, let's think about this word, divisions. Obviously, it comes from the word divide, but, but again, if you break that word down, it's in two parts. The first part is a prefix, D-I, die, which means multiple or two right? Two. And the second part is visions, to see, right? So the word divisions just literally means like two visions, two visions. So the idea is we need to be united by one vision. You can't have two visions. You got to have one vision. Again, that gets difficult. How in the world could we all possibly see the same? I don't sit where you sit, so I don't see what you see, but I'm telling you, the Word of God considers it absolutely necessary that we have one vision, not two, no divisions. How does it work? The scripture goes on. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather, which means this is the alternative. We're not going to have division. Instead, rather, we're going to be of one mind, united in thought and, say the word, purpose. So do you see that? Our unity in Christ comes from Christ Jesus, obviously, but understand, practically speaking, our unity comes from a common purpose. We're never going to be united by political opinions. We're never going to agree on a whole lot of things. We're never going to be united by worship music. We can't even all agree on this shirt, which happens to be awesome. We don't all agree, understand. So the only thing, practically speaking, that will unite us is the sense of purpose. We have a great commission. Every single one of us, if you belong to Jesus, you have the same purpose in life, and the purpose is simple. Go into all of the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all the ways of Christ. It's the Great Commission. There's nothing new about that, understand, and nothing has changed about that. That's our purpose. That is our essential purpose. Now, when we have the main thing in the position of the main thing, then everything else sort of becomes a small thing. And this is what I'm saying. It's time for our church to come back with a fresh sense of vision and a renewed sense of purpose. It is the only thing that will unite us and take us into the future that God has for us. So understand, the only vision that matters is, say it, God's vision. The only vision that matters is God's vision. You say, well, Pastor Tim, you said you're about to share the vision, so it must be your vision. No, no. Maybe you've come from a different church tradition, but let me explain. As a Baptist church, we're congregational. I'm not saying this makes us better. I'm not saying we're the only ones going to heaven. I'm not saying any of that. Just understand where you are and how our church works. It's a Baptist church. We're all at the body of Christ, and I'm not your pope or your priest, or anything else. I am a member of this church just like you. I come to church just like you with the gifts that God has given me, and I come with an intention to contribute my gifts for the good of the body and for the advance of the gospel. Just like you, we're the same. 
I don't have a special parking place. I don't have a higher status. I don't have more authority. I only have the authority that goes with my function in the body of Christ, just like you. So I don't believe that I go up on a mountain and God shows me a vision and I come back down, you know, and, and I stand like a sage on the stage and I, and I tell you, you know, what the vision's going to be. I, I don't see it that way. I see what I see because I sit where I sit. And as the pastor, as the leader, I've been praying for over 18 months that God would help me to see a part of what he sees for the future of our church. And I believe that God has revealed that part to me, but now it's time for me to tell you what I'm seeing so then you can tell me what you see. You understand? I see what I see because I stand where I stand, but you see what you see because you sit where you sit. And so all of us together will begin to listen to God, to talk about what we're seeing. And in this marvelous kaleidoscope of grace, God will show us the future that he has for us. You with me? So the only vision that matters is God's vision. But he's pleased to reveal it to us. Here's the definition of vision that I have used for years and years and years and years. Nothing new about it, but let me repeat it for you. In my mind, God's vision is a revelation. Start with that word, revelation. Revelation means it's revealed. In other words, it's not something that we just figure out. God's vision for our church isn't something where like, I can go off and go to a conference and see what another church did and then come back and just do what some other church did, just do that here in our church. That's not how it works. You don't get a vision for the church by just reading through a stack of books. You know, or just going to another church and trying to figure out what they do right. No, no, no. God's vision is revealed. When we seek the Lord, when we beg him to reveal it to us, he'll pull back the curtain and show us what we ordinarily would not be able to see or know at all. It's a revelation. God's vision is a revelation of what is possible. And I know some of you will struggle with this word, but I don't know how you can argue with me. We're talking about what is possible. What's possible? In other words, although I do believe this is God's will for our church, it's, it's possible that we never get there. It's possible that this church never really fully realized its potential or its purpose in the Lord. That's possible. Not because God's not sovereign and because God's not great. God is sovereign and God is great. But there are two factors here, and you've got to understand the two factors. See, God is sovereign and God is great, but God, in the mysteries of his sovereignty, has chosen to work with us. So, God's vision is a revelation of what is possible when his unlimited power meets our total obedience. Now, do you understand why I say possible now? Now, it is not a question. God is going to show up with power, and his power is unlimited. God can do anything that God purposes to do. With God, nothing is impossible. So God is going to show up every single day in unlimited power. But here's the thing. God's power must meet our total obedience. And this is why I talk about possibility. Because it is possible that you and I don't necessarily show up with total obedience. Can you disagree with that? Like, I don't even know if there's been a day in your life, a day in my life, when I've been totally obedient. I am partially obedient at best, and that's at best. 
But we're talking about God's vision for our church. And I'm telling you, God wants us to understand what's possible when his unlimited power meets our total obedience. Now, I can't say that we've ever been totally obedient. I can't say that in 150 years of the history of Woodburn Baptist Church, there was even a season when we've shown up with total obedience. But I'm telling you, that's possible. It's a choice that we could make, and by the power of the Spirit, we could begin a very different season of life and ministry at this church. And this is the vision I want us to talk about. I want us just to dream about what God could do as he shows up with his unlimited power, and we choose to show up with total obedience. You with me? It's a vision of what's possible. But, but obviously, even though with God all things are possible, we still start where we are. So let's talk about where we are. Um, I, I know, Pastor, I thought you want to talk about the future. Yeah, but, but let's talk about the present because we got to start here. And uh, here's, here's a weird place. There's probably never been a moment in my ministry where I was more eager to leave a season, you know. But the last year, the last two years has just been so hard for every one of us in every single way. Aren't you just ready to turn the page? Just ready to move forward? Um, but we still move forward from where we are, so let's talk about that. I know this sounds nerdy, and I'm, I know I'm, I'm talking to the church family, so, so stay with me. You need to understand what I'm saying here. This is just a way of measuring our church's effectiveness and faithfulness. And you're saying, Pastor Tim, we're talking spiritual things. You can't measure spiritual things. I agree with you to a point. Yes, it's spiritual, but we're given a great commission, right, to go and make disciples, we are commanded to share Jesus with such volume and in such a way where people everywhere hear about him and, and come to know him. And you can count that. You can count people that come to Jesus. You can count the people that get saved and baptized in our church. So let's count them. You can count them. And the count doesn't necessarily reflect well for us. Can I just say that? The church's per capita baptism ratio, stay with me, is approximately 40 to 1. Now, in simple terms, what I'm telling you, and you need to let this soak in, is in the past year, for every one person that got saved or baptized, there's 40 of us sitting here in church on Sunday. That means it takes 40 of us a year to see one person come to Jesus. Did I make that clear? Do you understand how terrible that is? 40 of us. Every single one of us is given the same purpose, the same commission. Every single one of us is supposed to be sharing Jesus everywhere we go, every day with everybody, but obviously we're not. Because I'm telling you, if even a few more of us were actually sharing Christ, there'd be more people than this accidentally get saved. In the last 12 months, our average attendance has been about 440, something like that. You're going to say, Pastor Tim, but you know, the beginning of that was COVID. I know, I know, it was COVID, and this is where we are now, about 440 in average attendance. So, Pastor Tim, before that, there was like 600 of us. Yes, there were, but there aren't now. Understand? This is where we are. This is the church that we're, that we're, that we're in. We have about 440 in average attendance, and, and in the last 12 months, we've baptized 11 people. 11 people. Maybe that sounds like a lot to you. That's not very many. 
I'm telling you, it comes out to about 40 to 1 or 2.5%. Now, the average Southern Baptist church in the United States, their baptism percentage is 2%. So you're saying, Pastor Tim, we're half a percent better than most. Yeah, most churches are awful. We're half a percent better than awful, you know, which means it's still terrible. I don't mean to sound negative. I just want you to understand where we are. And where we are is a place of very, very poor effectiveness and not a lot of faithfulness. If we have one job, which is to see people come to Christ, we're not doing our job well. And most of us aren't doing it at all. So understand, this is a terrible indicator of our church's effectiveness and faithfulness, and it has to change. It has to change. Now, go on. I'll say something good. The church is celebrating the fulfillment of the 2020 vision. This is exciting. In 2007, it was the same sort of day. I was sharing vision with the church. That day, I had diarrhea and a horrible pit in my stomach. I was so afraid, as I am today, to say out loud what I feel like God was telling me in private. But that day I said it. I said, I think God wants us to plant 20 churches by the year 2020. And people looked at me. On that day, we had, we had two people leave the church and never come back for that. You understand? It was a really difficult day. I was not a church planter. I'm still not a church planter. We had never planted a church in 100-something years. And now we're saying we're going to plant 20. But look what God has done. It was impossible to imagine, and now we look back and see that by the year 2020, we planted 23 churches. So that's good. That's exciting. God is good. But let's go on. At the present moment, our church is fragmented and limited by ongoing COVID concerns and protocols. I'm so tired of it. But it hasn't gone away, and I don't know when it goes away. But the Great Commission doesn't get canceled because there's COVID. You understand? And we can't stand around and continue to worry and debate these things. We're going to take care of people. But I'm telling you, we cannot let the mission of our church get hijacked by COVID. And it has. The church is fragmented and limited by ongoing COVID concerns and, and, and protocols. As I said, we got about 200 people that have disappeared since COVID. And, and, and it's November, y'all. It's November of 2021. I, I would love for many of them to come back, but I've just accepted the fact that most of them aren't coming back. They're just not coming back. They probably have their own reasons. That some of them are perhaps are watching faithfully from home, but the bottom line is for whatever reason, they're not coming back. It's, it's November, soon to be December. They're everywhere else they want to be. You know, I mean, Walmart's full. And they're at work, and they're everywhere. They're just not here. So I'm just accepting the fact that a lot of our folks just simply aren't coming back. And those of you who have come back, you're, you're vaccinated, you're ready to roll, I understand. You're back in person in church, but a lot of people coming back aren't coming back with a real desire to serve. It's very difficult to get people to pick back up and do the work of the church, do the work of the Lord. People want to come back and they want to sit, but they don't necessarily want to serve. I'm just saying COVID has taken a toll on the life and ministry of our church, and, and I just think we need to recognize that. The church is fragmented and limited by ongoing COVID concerns and protocols. The church lacks intentionality in mission work, organization, and planning. 
And say, Pastor Tim, I don't agree. This is a great, a great church for missions. It is. I agree with that. It's a great church for missions. It always has been. This church loves missions. This church gives generously to missions. This church goes. We do a lot of good work, and I'm proud to be your pastor. But can I just say, for all of our giving and going and all the good work we do, we've never really had a real strategy for it. We just give and we just go and we just do, but we've never tried to sit down and be good stewards of what we have and and try to combine our gifts together and really figure out a a real strategy, a, a real way of going about doing what God has called us to do. There's not enough intentionality, and I'm not saying we don't do good work. We just haven't been very intentional. I think that needs to change. Now get this, while we were focused on church planting and missions, the community around us changed dramatically. Now, we were focused on church planting and missions because God told us to plant churches and be on mission. So I'm not saying we did anything wrong. I'm just saying now when we look at where we are and we take a look around us, the community has changed dramatically, dramatically. It's an incredible international community. And let me say, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love the fact that we have two Burmese families in our congregation. I love that. I love the fact that in Greystone, you know, Jason Dunbar has Russian neighbors on three sides of him. I love that. I love all of that. Understand that there's plans for 500 houses to go behind Cheney's Dairy Barn. There are other plans for at least one subdivision of 250 houses, I believe, around Buchanan Park. Do you understand? In the next number of years, we could have 1,000 houses between where I'm standing and Rich Pond. I mean, that's just amazing. That's amazing. But it also ought to sober us up a little bit for the simple reason that in this direction, if you counted, if you counted every doghouse even, we probably have 40 houses, like here. And in 150 years, we've never reached all 40 of them. There's a tiny trailer park over there, and we've never even really made a dent there. So if God has placed our church here missionally, if we have a purpose, understand, we haven't really done a good job of getting with it, and it's about time we really get with it, or I'm telling you, we're going to get lost in it. Our community around us has changed dramatically, and I'm not sure we're prepared. We're prepared for the mission that God has for us right here in our own yard. I'll say this, and I don't mean, any, I don't mean to insult any of you, but let me just say I believe the congregation at large lacks any real concern for the lostness of people. I say congregation at large because we may have some individuals who really care about lost people, but I just have to say, if we have very many, it can't be very many. If we had very many people who cared about lost people, then more of you would be telling people about Jesus, and we'd see the fruit of that here at church, and we don't. We don't even lead all of our children to the Lord. I mean, can I just say that? If, if, if just our own kids who are at the point of making decisions for Christ, if all of them got saved in the last 12 months, it'd be more than 11. We're not even leading our own kids to Christ. So it's really hard for us to turn and say, yes, we have a real concern that, that people are lost and dying and, that, and eternity matters and where people go for eternity matters. Yeah, I have a hard time believing that you care about that when you don't tell anybody ever. 
We surveyed the congregation, I think it was four or five years ago, and we specifically asked you about your, your witnessing life. I think it was something like 40% of our people said they've never shared the gospel, like not one time. And then there was a percentage of people who said they've shared the gospel, but not in the last year. There's a very skinny, very skinny number of folks who said they've even shared the gospel in the last year. Can I just be honest? I mean, I don't, I don't think we care about the lostness of people. We just don't. If we did, we'd be different. We'd see something different at this church. I don't think we care. And I really think this is another place where COVID has hurt us. You say, Pastor Tim, I do. I care about losses. I don't think you do. Because if I say, listen, y'all, let me tell y'all, so-and-so died. They died last week. Your first question would be, was it COVID? Right? Your first question is, was it COVID? Like, your first question isn't, were they believers? Like, you care more whether or not they die with COVID than if they die and go to hell. Like, your question is, was it COVID? If a new person walks in church, some of you, the first question in your mind is, are they vaccinated? You're not thinking, are they believers? Do do, do, do they know Jesus? This just tells me that in the last 18 months or so, some of you have become very faithful disciples of Dr. Fauci. The rest of you have become very faithful disciples of Fox News. Like Fox News has discipled a good number of our people. And I'm trying to call you out of that. Trying to call you away so that you come back to what actually matters. What actually matters. And I'm telling you, people matter because eternity matters. And where people will spend eternity, that's what matters. But it doesn't seem to matter to our church. And that's got to change. God, that's got to change. So John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's right after the resurrection and right before the coming of the Holy Spirit, right? And Jesus says this to his followers. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So among other things, this tells us that's the most important thing to know about us as a church, as followers of Jesus, we are sent. We are a sent people, which means our lives have a purpose. Our lives have meaning, but it's not like ordinary. It's not the typical way that most people define purpose and meaning in their lives. If you're a believer in Jesus, and I know not all of you are, perhaps, but if you are, then understand, your, your life is Jesus. He's not a part of your life. He is your life. And your purpose is Jesus' purpose. You don't have a part-time purpose. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. This is your life. Jesus is your life. He has sent you. So on the day that you were born, Jesus breathed life into you and sent you, and you were born into your family, and it wasn't an accident. You were born into your family because you were missionally placed. There's something about his big purpose for you that that had you land in the family you landed in, and that's what launched you into the world, into the purpose that he has for you. And that's never changed. His purpose for you has never been canceled. You are the person that you are. You have the gifts that you have. You have the personality that you have because you are perfectly designed to do the work that God has for you to do, and that work is your purpose. 
And so that means whatever it is you do with your life, whatever your job is, understand, you are missionally placed there. You may be a doctor, you may be a lawyer, you may be a factory worker, a school teacher, a farmer, whatever it is that, that you do, what you do is beside the point. You are missionally placed there, placed there with a mission. And that mission is to do the will of God, to do the work of the Father. That's why you are where you are. Your life's purpose is not to make money. It's not to follow in your daddy's footsteps. It's not to bless your family. It's not to have Thanksgiving and have all the kids together. You know, it's not about that, mamma. It's not about any of that. Those things are nice, but your life is about Christ. And honestly, some of you are a lot more upset that your kids weren't at Thanksgiving than that your kids may not be at heaven. And this is what I'm telling you, that there's something wrong, profoundly wrong in our hearts, that we've forgotten the fact that we are sent. We have a purpose, we have a mission. Now Jesus says it this way, as the Father has sent me. So understand, Jesus was sent to do the will of the Father. Jesus says, in the same way I was sent by the Father, now I'm sending you. So we can look at the way in which Jesus was sent by his Father, and that helps us understand how he sends us, right? So Jesus was sent to do the will of the Father. That means as long as Jesus was on earth, he was there for a purpose, to do the will of the Father. As long as Jesus was on earth, he was going to do what the Father wanted him to do. He was going to speak the words that the Father wanted spoken. He was going to do the work that the Father wanted him to do. Jesus was sent to the world to do the will of the Father, and that's what Jesus did. In total obedience, in full surrender, Jesus did the will of the Father. And Jesus says, in the same way that the Father sent me now, I am sending you. So what that means for you and me is what begins with Jesus is continued with the church. It's continued with you and me. So we are sent to do the will of Jesus. We're supposed to do in the world what Jesus wants done in the world. We're supposed to do in the place where we work all the things that Jesus wants done in the place where you work. And they may have nothing to do with what they're paying you for. You understand? You're there for one reason, and that's to do the work of the Lord. So you got to make sure that as long as you have breath, you're going to say the words that Jesus wants spoken. You're going to do the work that Jesus wants done. I'm telling you, what began with Jesus now continues in us, in you and me. So if we talk about vision. Always talking about the future, right? What God sees for the future of our church. And I've just been praying that God would show us part of that, just help us to see what He sees. Like sometime in the future, like, like what would it look like if you gave us a period of years? Like between now and 2030, that's about nine years. Between, between now and 2030, what if we had shown up with total obedience? And you know God's going to be ultimately powerful, right? I mean, what if all of God's purposes for my life and your life and this church were all met and fulfilled? What would things look like, say, nine years from now? I feel like that's what God's been showing me. Now, I put this out on the table. It's there for you. I want you to have it. I didn't put it in your hand before this message because I didn't want you to sit there and just color all the O's while I was talking. Um, Y'all know how that works? Um, but... Uh, there's a paragraph right here on the front page called Envisioned Future. I feel like this is what our church will look like in a number of years 
considering that we've all been obedient to everything God wants us to do. Understand, the church is us. It's me. It's you. And the church can't be totally obedient if you're not totally obedient. You understand? If just one of us chooses to live our own way, do our own thing, and, and, and not do the will of the Father, then understand the whole purpose of the church is compromise. We need each other to do this. But I feel like if we all showed up with total obedience, with the power of the Spirit, our church would look very different in a few years. And, and this is what I see. Um, every word matters. So listen and let these words stir your heart future. Every time I say the word we, understand I'm talking about me and I'm talking about you. We. In the future, we're a body of believers characterized by supernatural unity and sacrificial love. We're a people of prayer, dependent upon the Holy Spirit who guides and empowers his church on mission. As a congregation, we share common vision clear direction, and we communicate priorities in great commission terms. Every individual believer has a strong sense of being missionally placed by God wherever they are, and together we function as a trained force ushering in the kingdom of Christ in the world. We do, what, we do whatever it takes to carry the gospel every day to everybody everywhere, accepting the biblical mandate for mission that reaches from the hyperlocal to the uttermost destinations. From oldest to youngest, members of the church family are bold in verbal witness, fervent in prayer, obedient in going, generous in giving. Strategically, we prioritize evangelism with a bias toward church planting locally in the continental U.S. and around the globe. Nevertheless, we ensure that the local community gets the most of us and the best of us for the sake of Christ. Some of you say, Pastor Tim, that took you 18 months? I mean, that just sounds like the Bible. Isn't that funny <laughs> how that just sounds like the Bible? See, that's the thing. I think when we all look at those words, we'd say, well, yeah, I believe that. I believe that that's how the church ought to be. I'd like to be a part of that church right there. That, that sounds like the church I believe in. I think you'd all say that. But this does not describe us. I, I love you, and I'm proud to be your pastor, and, and, and we're a good church, but we are not a body of believers characterized by supernatural unity and sacrificial love. We aren't a people of prayer. I know we pray. Prayer meeting at Woodburn Baptist Church will be one of the, you know, lightest attendance of any meeting we have. Let's just be honest. Dependent upon the spirit, guided, empowered, common vision, clear direction, communicate priorities in great commission terms. I'm telling you, I hear a lot of people with priorities in our church, but they're regularly articulated, you know, in terms other than great commission. Notice in that whole vision there, we don't say a word about whether or not we got new carpet in nine years. And some of you, that's all you want to know. You know, will there be new carpet and will it be blue? Will we have a new sanctuary in, in the nine years? Just tell me that. We have a new building out back. Could we ever take part of that 30 acres and have a cemetery? I just always want a cemetery. Where am I going to be buried? 
I mean, understand, there's so many things that we don't talk about because, can we just be honest, those aren't great commission priorities. We'll do things like that. We'll do a lot of things like that, but those are not the main thing. That's not our job. Just having Sunday morning, a worship service that you enjoy, that's not our purpose. If we never had another Sunday morning, do you understand? If we shut the whole doors of the church, we could still accomplish our purpose if you and I go out into the world and make disciples. But that's the one thing that we're not doing. We have really good church services. It's great up in here, isn't it? But what we do up in here isn't going to make a whole lot of difference to the houses out there if we don't tell them. And we haven't been telling them. I know you believe it. I believe it. That's exactly everything I believe in right there. I believe in that vision. I believe that God is the God of the impossible. I believe all of that. I think you believe it. I'm just not sure we want it. I'm not sure we desire that, church. You know what I mean? Because honestly, if we wanted the church to be like that, it could have been like that a long time ago. Obviously, our beliefs and our desires are not in line. We just don't want it. You say, well, Pastor Tim, if, if, if you'd have some soul-winning training classes and you trained us, probably we'd be better. I, you know, I really struggle with that. I'm not sure you can train people to share the gospel because something tells me if you really want to do it, you'll find a way. You'll find a way. I, I mean, Jesus just said go. He didn't say take a class, get a seminary degree, and then if you pass, you can go. No, he just said Go. You are missionally placed right now to share the gospel in the place where you are. The fact that you believe that is important, but the fact that you don't want to do it, that's the problem. Because desire will trump belief every day. So in this place where we start a new season of life and vision and mission at Woodburn Baptist Church, can we just all just agree it's not really about beliefs, and it's not really about vision even. It's about our hearts. There's a lot of things that will have to change in order to make us a church that shows up with total obedience. But the first thing that needs to change is going to be your heart. My heart. It's not about what I believe, it's what I want to do. and God's going to have to change our want-tos, you know? Well, he will, and he can, if you'll surrender your heart to him, surrender your life to him, come back to him, come back to discipleship, come back to what it means to follow him with your life, with your words, with your witness. Let's come back to what it means to be his church. We have one job, one great commission. It has not been canceled or changed, but we've not been faithful that, brothers and sisters, has got to change. Our hearts have to change. But pray with me. Lord, I've wanted to be a part of a church like that my whole life. 
All my life, I've, I've wanted to be a, a, a bold verbal witness for you, Lord Jesus. I've wanted to tell people about Jesus in all the places that I go. I've, I've always known that I was supposed to do that, and I've always wanted to do that. But Lord, God, help me. I've not done that. Lord, most of us in this room, we'd all say we've, we've known what we were supposed to do, and we've often wished that we were better at doing it, Lord, but the fact remains, we stand here on this Sunday in November in 2021, and we have not been very faithful to you. We've not been very effective in, in fulfilling the only job you've given us. Our church has done a lot of good things, Lord, but we have not seen all your purposes for us fulfilled. But that could change. That could change. The community God is changing. Technology is changing. The generations are changing. The gospel does not change. Our purpose does not change, Lord God. And of all the things that need to change, Lord, it is this pastor's heart that must change first. God, there were moments in my life when I promised to do whatever you wanted me to do, go wherever you would send me, say whatever you would have me say. Lord, I lose courage. It's easy to be comfortable. It's easy just, Lord, to build a church that is nice for us on Sundays, Lord, forgetting the world that dies and doesn't know you. Lord Jesus, we've believed these things for a long time. We've just not done a very good job of living what we believe. That could change, Lord. It could change today if we'd surrender our hearts to you. Lord, make this altar today a place where hearts are laid out bare, surrendered to you. Help us, Lord, to make good on our promise to follow you wherever you would lead us, to give, to speak, to preach, to do your will, Lord, as long as we have breath and life. We pray these things for the sake of this church for the sake of the world, and in the name of Jesus, who is and was and always shall be the Lord of this church, we pray in his name. Amen.